You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 43. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. I'm super excited about today's interview. We're talking with the co-creators of the Endangered Species Print Project, which is a collaborative art project focused on bringing awareness to endangered species recovery efforts from all across the planet. Jenny Kendler and Molly Schaefer are both multidisciplinary artists with a wide variety of interests, but who share a passion for the natural world and are constantly seeking opportunities to have their work benefit conservation programs. The Endangered Species Print Project was conceived back in 2009, and since that time, the project has produced close to 30 works of art, each one depicting a different animal species. Some of the prints were created by Molly or Jenny, but most have been produced by a growing number of artist collaborators who are seeking to benefit conservation programs through their work. The prints are truly beautiful and unique and represent a wide variety of artistic styles, I would definitely encourage folks to check out the website for the project um, and have a look at endangeredspeciesprintproject.com. We'll be talking with Jenny and Molly about the inspiration behind this fascinating project and how the idea has evolved over the past six years. We'll also hear about Jenny and Molly's artistic interests and how they've each worked to incorporate conservation messaging and storytelling into their work. Let's jump into the interview. All right, I am here with Molly Schaefer and Jenny Kendler, who are the co-creators and co-founders of the Endangered Species Print Project. How are you guys doing today? Great. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for agreeing to come on to the podcast and talk about this really interesting project that you guys are both involved with. Um, I just want to start things off by having you guys sort of introduce me to the Endangered Species Print Project. Um, where did the idea for this project come from? Uh, well, we started the project back in 2009, and Jenny and I met in graduate school at the Schoolyard Institute of Chicago. We had a lot of the same interests, um, interested in nature and the environment, conservation, and um, we like the same fantasy novels and things as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we had both been making work about the natural world and, and showing it in galleries, and we're sort of, you know, not excited about the response. It's not, people weren't really caring as much as um, we had hoped. So we were trying to come up with a way to actually sort of create, you know, some sort something that would help us use what we were good at, which was basically drawing. Um, I mean, we're good at other things too, but uh, <laughs> to sort of, you know, make a direct impact on something we really cared about, which is conservation. Um, and fighting extinction. So, so that was sort of the thought of, you know, we started thinking about what we could do. Um, also, it's kind of funny, I was thinking about this last night, and way back in 2009, which is hilarious, that was a while ago, but um, it's, you know, we're now in Back to the Future. So, <laughs> Back to the Future Day was yesterday. Um, it just seemed sort of, self-indulgent to be making just making art I guess especially the art I was making at that time um, it sounds funny now because everyone is like constantly oversharing what they had for breakfast and taking selfies so I was thinking about that I'm like now it doesn't really seem that way but it, 
it did at the time. So we were, I was really searching for something I could do as an artist who didn't have extra money to donate or extra time um, to volunteer, That uh, something that a project we could come up with to help um, endangered species. Uh, Jen, you can jump in too if you want. Yeah, I was going to say that I think um, another part of the way that the project kind of naturally evolved is that we'd been working you know, on our own in graduate school, but also collaboratively on a series of projects. We created this um, very fantastical kind of tongue-in-cheek project called Rise Up that was about an an animal army that formed um, in response <laughs> to human degradation of the planet that, the, you know, animals kind of said, you know, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take this anymore. And we created like a, you know, a series of hilarious videos and um, other works around that. And so we were we were already working together and collaboratively. And I think that the moment that the project really crystallized, if I'm if I'm correct, I think that this was Molly's idea was to was to tie the idea of uh, print edition, you know, which has a, has a connotation of uh, rarity, scarcity and preciousness, especially as the edition disappears in the art world with the idea of endangered species. And so that was really the key idea um, you know, the moment when we decided like, oh, this is, this is really something worthwhile to pursue was the idea of linking the print number with the amount of animals or plants that are remaining. So for example, in the case of the Seychelles sheath-tailed bat, Molly, you can correct me if I get the number wrong, but I believe there was 28 of them. Um, and uh, so that, then that would be a print edition only of that number. So we, I, I think that that was, you know, a way to kind of bridge our interest in conservation and, and, and art. Yeah, that's definitely a neat sort of component to the Endangered Species Print Project. So I guess I guess I'm just kind of curious, you know, to learn about how this idea has sort of evolved over time. You mentioned that, you know, you, you guys were getting this project up off the ground back in 2008 and 2009. Um, you know, how has the idea evolved since then? Well, at, at the beginning, it was just Jenny and I um, doing all of the artwork as well as, as everything else. Um, and then we started to have other artists interested in participating. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how far into the project that was. I think it, just a year or two. Um, and so then we started inviting other artists to create the prints as well. So that was sort of the next big step. And, that, and that's still how the project runs. Yeah, we were really, I guess, pleased and surprised to see the kind of huge amount of interest that this concept garnered. And, you know, we were you know, we got press in a bunch of different magazines and things like that. But but actually the strongest response in a way was from other artists who said, like, wow, I really I want to do something like this to help too. Um and we were actually getting, you know, so many emails from people saying like, you know, I make I make wildlife art or I don't make wildlife art, but I really care about the environment. Can I make one of these prints? And so we you know, don't have any formal process for that, but is more um artists that we ourselves were also interested in, whose work we really admired, whose ethos we really admired, then became invited to create, uh, create a print for the project. I, I, I just want to get a little bit more background on each of the two of you. Um, I, I'd sort of like to hear about a, l- a little bit about um, each of your artistic backgrounds and, and, and also sort of what you're most interested in artistically uh, currently. Sure. Should I go first? Okay. So, um, yeah, so I guess in since graduate school, this, uh, the theme of working with art and environment has only become stronger in my work. And I'm sure that, uh, endangered species print project has played a, played a role in that. 
Um, so I am an interdisciplinary artist. I consider myself interdisciplinary, meaning that I'm doing everything from creating um, interactive photography projects where I'm doing a call to the public to submit works. I create small, delicate sculptures. I make drawings. And, and uh, lately, for the past couple of years, I've been also focusing on doing large-scale interactive public projects. So um, these would be commissions um, from cities or institutions for for public art, um, which all have n- not only an environmental focus and concept to them, but oftentimes also have a direct kind of activist component where a part of the project is that we're also petitioning the government for pesticide regulation, for example, to protect pollinators and human health. Um, and so I've been doing this on my own um, and a a, let's see, in April of 2014, um, got, into t- got to um, talk to the Natural Resources Defense Council, also known as NRDC, which is one of the um, country's largest environmental um, advocacy groups, as you may know. And uh, I became their artist, their artist in residence, so um, the first artist in residence with them. So I've been able to work alongside this group of... Uh, of activists, advocates, and lawyers, largely, um, who are doing really amazing work for the environment, and um, then creating these these works kind of in partnership with them. I didn't realize that you were uh, in, in involved um, with with NRDC on that level as an artist in residence. That's that sounds like a really really unique opportunity and a really cool way to sort of blend, you know, the the activism. And sort of, you know, find, you know, sort of real ways to uh, engage the people who are interacting with your art. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it definitely comes out of this kind of zeitgeist that started with Endangered Species Print Project of just, you know, Molly and I kind of butting our heads up against this White Walls gallery system and going like, this is not, it's not enough. It isn't satisfying for us to just make paintings or drawings about animals and just talk about this in a kind of sterile context that we really feel like we want to use our work to create positive change in the world around these issues that we care so deeply about. So Molly, how about, how about you? What, just tell us a little bit about your artistic background and what you're sort of most interested in. Sure. Um, I'm interested in everything. That's my main problem in life. Um, <laughs> so this is also why Jenny and I hit it off is because we are, yeah. we have, we both have so many ideas, like more ideas than we can ever accomplish. Um, so yeah, I mean, my background is I, I've always been drawing and going to art school and I was a scientific illustration intern at the Smithsonian during my undergrad. Um, so I just bounce around from, from art field to art field, basically that's my 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 the history of my my art career is like first I was interested in scientific illustration, um, then I was really interested in fine art where I went to graduate school. Um, now I'm really interested in illustration, so um, just just bouncing around and never being satisfied. Um, I work as a freelance freelance illustrator and designer right now. Um, and I'm also showing my work in galleries. Uh, Jenny and I have a show coming up in January, actually, at iMocha in Indianapolis, um, where we'll be reuniting shore work in a gallery again. Um, I'm working on some comic books about insectivores, um, mainly a bat and a shrew. So they're sort of science-based, but they're fantastical, and as in they're like talking animals wearing clothes. But um, my interest all all across all of these different art fields my interest has always been um the natural world mostly animals and um i can never help sort of 
putting fantasy into that or personifying. Um, that's sort of just, you know, what I do for fun. So, um, yeah, it comes out in different ways. Yeah, that's really neat. And, and I love that blending between sort of, you know, fantasy, storytelling and the natural world and environmentalism. Um, that's, and I guess, an in, in area that, that I'm particularly interested in as well. And I love talking with people who sort of share those interests in sort of fantastical storytelling, but also bringing in sort of real life ele- elements uh, from the natural world and incorporating animals into it. It's pretty much the best. <laughs> yep. It's like, I really love, Jenny knows this, I really love drawing uh, animals with long snouts, like shrews. <laughs> yeah, so I really love drawing animals with long snouts. I love shrews and selenodons and all these little creatures um, and bats. And when I was a kid and I got my first sort of books, like sort of those I don't know what you call them, like taxonomy books for the layperson or something, like illustrated books of animals. Um, I always thought that insectivoria or however you pronounce it sounded so um, magical. So I've just always been interested in that. So I'm working on like this, this is going to be a long explanation. So just bear with me here. (laughs) Did you ever read like Betty and Veronica digest kind of like chunky comic books where they had multiple comic stories going on through them and then like crossword puzzles and things like that so this is basically that is the format so it's multiple characters comics um and they're all centered around animals that are insectivores and also insects i don't know how far deep you want me to go into this i mean it sounds sort of crazy but so the one of the main characters is mitzi the bat um and she goes to a school where it's all mammals, but she's the only bat, and she's like thought of as <laughs> she's thought of as kind of creepy because she has like these leathery wings, and um, and then I don't know she befriends a, a mouse who really want, wishes she had wings to be a bat, and sort of it just goes on like that. I haven't heard you <laughs> talk in this much detail about this, and I at this point like just cannot wait to see it. I'm so excited. I was like, no, you can't tell me uh, too many details about this. Sounds so good. I'm not supposed to talk that much about it, but then also I don't, I just, uh, it's fun to talk about it because you guys seem interested and I keep making up more characters and getting, you know, I've got the Shrew sisters who like solve mysteries and Nancy Shrew is their hero, which I don't know if that's going to be like a huge copyright problem at this point, but. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Very cool. So I, I guess, what, I, what I'm wondering is, is there going to be sort of uh, like a conservation message that you inject into the story somewhere? I would definitely like there to be. This is something I struggle with where uh, I really want that to be part of my work, but also it's hard to find an authentic way to introduce that into um, things that stories and especially stories for kids. I, I feel like learning about animals and thinking they're cool and is, is sort of like the first step because then like once you care about something you want to protect it so I definitely struggle with like finding the right tone and balance for that yeah absolutely I mean that's that's a really tricky balance you guys started talking about the collaborative nature of the endangered species print project and I want to hear a little bit more about um, how you sort of made that initial decision to like reach out to other artists um, and how this is sort of structured now you know how these relationships with other artists are um are are sort of set up yeah so i think that christopher reiger who was our 
our online friend, he was writing and I think still writes a really fantastic blog called The Hungry Hyena um, and is also very interested in kind of the same the same kind of perspective that we take on wildlife art and conservation uh, was the first person that we talked to. But we were actually also kind of simultaneously being approached by a number of different people that we had met, again, internet friends, um, like you have these days, uh, about the about collaborating with the project. So I think Aaron Johnson and Barnaby uh, Whitfield were two people who, who reached out to us early on. So um, Barnaby created the, the absolutely beautiful condor print, um, and Aaron created the Philippine crocodile print. We've, we, we really have let like each person kind of drive the way that the process works. So sometimes we have gone to other people and said, we love your work. We'd love for you to do a print. Uh, more often, I think people have approached us and said that they really wanted to help with something. And so then kind of to each their own desire to, you know, to drive the process, we've either said, um, you know, do you want to 100% research this species yourself? Here's the guidelines. We choose critically endangered species and we need to find an organization or even an individual that's working on conservation for that species to which we can donate the money. Those are really the requirements. And we need to, of course, have a population count so that we can, even if it's estimated, um, so we can uh, addition the print. So sometimes people will be entirely driving that process themselves because they're really avid conservationists already. And then sometimes people are, you know, artists who maybe aren't involved in conservation work but love animals and want to do something to help and will say, you know, actually, can you guys give me a list of, you know, a list of three or four different species? And then we take on the the job of kind of researching them. So that's one of the most interesting parts of the process is trying to decide um, which species to work on next. And you'll see that we have a mix of both some kind of very well-known, what people would call these charismatic megafauna, you know, the whooping crane, the Javan rhino, the Sumatran tiger, um, and then also a number of much less, much less known, less typically charismatic endangered species like the American burying beetle, which is a carrion-eating beetle, um, or Molly's print of the Moldavian meadow viper, who I think is a critically endangered species that probably almost no one has heard of. Um, Nobody wants to. Everybody hates them. Snakes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like snakes. So, so the, the, another exciting kind of component of the way that this works, when especially when we're working on these lesser known, lesser funded species, um, is that we're able to actually like really make a difference. So, in the case of the Panamanian golden frog, um, is it's a beautiful uh, little tiny species of frog that sadly is extinct in the wild. So, no longer exists anywhere in the wild, largely because of chytrid fungus and habitat destruction in Panama. Um, and there was a number of scientists who had the foresight to see that chytrid was coming into this to the area and removed the last population of Panamanian golden frogs to captivity. Um, so, but although you know our our project is small, but I think we've raised it's a little over thirteen thousand dollars since we began it. Um, and when you divide that up, you know, that when we're sending, you know, a $700 check to the people who work on the Panamanian golden frog, it actually makes a really big difference. You know, this is not World Wildlife Fund working on tigers and elephants, but we're, we tend to be working more with smaller organizations and sometimes even individuals 
individual scientists um, where, you know, a, a few handfuls of hundreds of dollars, like, make a real difference. There's not a lot of other support. Maybe, Molly, you might want to um, talk about the Seychelles sheath tailed bat. I think that's a particularly interesting story. Right. Yeah. And I, I would like to get back to, to supporting um, more individual scientists. I'm reading a lot about how Wild Lens does that. And I, that's how we started out. And I think that's a really a good model for a smaller organization like us. The Seychelles sheath-tailed bat was uh, one of our first prints that supported the Nature Protection Trust of Seychelles, which was basically one biologist, um, I think it was a sort of family-run organization, they were working in the Seychelles on this bat, and I believe there were 37 at the last count, so the population had actually gone up since when we made the print, which was really good. I mean, it went up by two or three individuals, Um, so... I mean, any little bit helps at at that number. So I felt like we could really make a difference because it was a small organization. It was basically one scientist and some uh, grad students. So, you know, the the amounts of money that we could send would would help. So so that was felt good. Um, And then what ended up happening with the organization, they were also working on giant tortoise conservation. Is this the story you want me to tell, Danny? And I think that the yeah the government of the Seychelles wanted to do some development projects on the island, um, and so they were they ejected the conservationists essentially because that you know they they don't have the same they didn't have any kind of federal endangered species status, um, so this that's actually kind of a sad story is that these were it's just it's a remarkable way to think about this that there's this extremely endangered really wonderful special species of bat and there's like one person in the world that cares about this animal <laughs> that's, li- you know, living on this island with his family and is like the one and only front line of conservation. And they were, yeah, they were ejected from the island by the government. Um, but I actually, the, there's actually a big question mark for me is that I don't know what, what happened. We know that they were kicked off and then we haven't heard from them yet. I, am I entirely wrong in saying that they were trying to take some of the tortoises with them? The, the sort of image that we were left with was this photo that they posted on their blog of their boat driving away from the island with the tortoises in it because they were also instructed, they were trying to reintroduce these tortoises. And not only were they kicked out, they were told to take the tortoises with them. So they were all booted from the island. Um, and that's where the Seychelles sheet-tailed bats were only, they're only down to one island now where they're living. They're endemic to the Seychelles and they're they sort of come from an ancient line of bats. I I think that they are sort of the only sheath-tailed bats left. I'm not 100% correct on that, but I know that they're they an, an edge species, which is evolutionary distinct and globally endangered. Um, that's another organization. That's how we first found out about them. Um, so they are special, and, and I don't know what's going on at this point. I know that edge did just go there in the last year or two, and I saw a blog post about the bats. They visited the cave, but... I don't know if what, if any conservation efforts are currently underway or, or allowed to be. There's oftentimes been uh, question marks or gaps in our knowledge here, partly because we're often trying to work with people who are based in really remote locations who don't have very good access to email. Sometimes we've had to find really unusual or extraordinary ways to transfer the funds to them because they're, you know, based in some remote jungle outpost in the Philippines. 
um, or things have to be converted into different currencies. So it's been sort of one of the one of the both very interesting but also occasionally frustrating aspects of the project when you're trying to direct funds to really rare and unusual animals and the scientists who are lit- working in the field alongside them is that there's sometimes been this kind of this breakdown of knowledge where we we only hear from them once every three years and we hear either like you know oh there's a big increase in marmots or you know we're left hanging about the future of these wonderful bats so you have to stay tuned for updates on that story yeah i'd, I'd definitely be curious to see where yeah how how that population of bats is doing and you guys bring up a really interesting point and that story brings up a really interesting point, which is this sort of balance that you guys have between uh, more well-known endangered species um, and these much, much lesser-known uh, species that are also critically endangered, but that very, very few people have heard about. And in mm-hmm. some instances, there's only just uh, you know a handful or maybe even just one or two uh, biologists or conservationists that are actually you know working on the front lines to try to save those species. And I mean, I think, you know, in my mind, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you guys are sort of thinking like, oh, maybe we should sort of get back to those roots and like put more effort towards, uh, you know, working with these lesser known species. I mean, I think it's I think it's it's actually, you know, to your benefit to have this balance. Right. Because you can attract mm-hmm. people to the project with, you know, these higher profile species and these prints of, you know, animals like the uh, like the California condor and, you know, some of these more well-known um, endangered species conservation programs, um, and then they're on your site, and they see all these other, you know, really interesting prints that you have, and other animal species that you know they probably never heard of before. That's one of the things we we didn't realize when we first started this. People were like, "Oh, we actually heard someone say to I forget both of us or to Jenny like I thought there was only like six or seven endangered species like panda bears and tigers or whatever. Like a lot of people <laughs> don't know that." So. Right. And if, I think it's been something that's been uh, an issue for us in the past is that oftentimes, you know, Molly or I have fallen sort of fallen in love with some, you know, rare and incredible species. I know, Molly, you were working on a print on the Hispaniola and Selenodon. Um, and then oftentimes we've it's it's almost impossible to find any information about them. And it appears that sometimes there's nobody working on the conservation of these species. Um, so it just it's has been illuminating for us and hopefully for our audience about just how many um, various and incredible species there are out there that need conservation um, support. Although I think like this is a, it's a, it's a good, a good argument for kind of larger scale habitat conservation. And also, you know, I think people can criticize the idea of supporting the large megafauna like the panda bear or the tiger, um, but I see it pragmatically, and it's part of the reason that we include species like that in our portfolio, is that when you protect the, you know, Siberian forest for the Amur leopard, for example, you're also protecting all of the other species that live there so that they, they become, you know, if not keystone species, then indicator species. So if we know that our ecosystem is healthy enough to support Java and rhinoceros, then it's also supporting all of the, you know, um, insects and snakes and other less, quote, charismatic species that live there. So I want to ask you guys about the Endangered Species Condom Project, uh, <laughs> which you guys were involved with. Um, I mean, this this project brings up this issue of 
you know, human population, um, which is something that, I mean, I think is is controversial even within sort of the environment environmentalist community is something that a lot of people yep. don't really want to talk about. Um, I, so I guess I'm just wondering, you know, to start things off, like how did you guys get involved with this? Where did this idea come from? Center for Biological Diversity had conceptualized this project and um, they were looking for artists to create work for it. So I, I want to be clear that the, we, did, we didn't initiate the idea for this project and the Center for Biological Diversity has been, to my knowledge, the only large environmental group working on population issues, which, like you say, is uh, is quite controversial and I think is a pretty pretty brave, although they really have a track record of sticking their necks out. <laughs> they are, um, you know, serve, a, I think, a very valuable role in the ecosystem of environmental organizations in that respect, and I have to give them huge, huge kudos for being brave enough to tackle the issue. Uh, so they had they had this concept for this project, the Endangered Species Condom Project, um, and I think they must have found it, found our website online and thought like, oh, well, these guys are doing something really closely related to what we want to do. So they commissioned us to create these six artworks um, for the six different species that they were working on. So they had already chosen the, chosen the species and they were in charge of kind of the whole design and conceptualization of the project. So we, we really only created the paintings for them. Um, but th- th- that project blew up. I mean, it was covered in the New York Times. It was on a billboard in Times Square. Um, when our, they, they now have gone on to create a second series of them. So if you look it up now, the artwork that's on it is not created by Molly and myself. It's, an, it's a different artist. Um, but while our artwork, I guess, was in tenure, I'll say, um, on the project, I think almost half of a million condoms were distributed. So it was like 450,000 all across the country. So it really had a tremendous reach. And hopefully you know, was somewhat instrumental in helping people to make the link between overpopulation and environmental issues, which I think is a, is a hard link for people to make in their minds. Um, and this, the project certainly was very tongue in cheek. And so hopefully it was approaching this from a different angle that maybe made people actually take a minute to listen to it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I remember, you know, the first exposure that, that, that I had to that project um, a number of years ago and and it is i mean like you say it's 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 tongue-in-cheek like it makes you chuckle a little bit but then it also makes you kind of sit back and think about you know sort of the real issues behind the human population on the planet right um yep so it's it definitely definitely a really interesting campaign and it's it's neat that you guys were uh able to be a part of that um at that early stage in um in your project you know, I, I'm just sort of curious to hear about like what you guys have learned about conservation and about you know specifically endangered species protection. You know, over the past you know seven or eight years um, that you've been working on this project on the endangered species print project. I mean, um, is there anything? Uh, maybe there's like an example of something that you learned about one of these particular species that 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 really surprised you. I mean, one thing that was interesting is just how hard it is to get a species listed on the endangered species list. So, I mean, that's something that we think about sometimes is, you know, animals that are not technically, you know, listed as endangered or critically endangered could be in more danger than animals that are. Um, so, I mean, that was, I think that's something interesting to think about too. It's like this, this sort of title. And if you don't have it, you're, you're safe because you're not endangered. Um, which isn't really true. 
it surprises sort of how hard it is to give money away because we will be contacting organizations and we sounded like one of those scam emails from a prince who can't access his money and wants to send you a check. You know, we're like, hey, we're artists. We want to make something, uh, some art and send you some money. And lots of times nobody would write back. (laughs) I mean, it just, it sounds, it's like, we're like, no, we're serious. We we're like good people and we want to do this. It's it's sort of, it's actually a hard sell. Like we just want to give you money. Right. I started rewriting our emails to say, like, you don't have to do anything at all except tell us where to send the check. That made a difference, actually. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess I I would say, like, something that's been really interesting to me, you know, I think that, honestly, Molly and I would probably be geeking out about all of these different species and the conservation situations around them without the project. But, of course, we've learned more specifically about the different um, animals that we've been working on that we might have otherwise. So uh, something that's been very interesting to me is to kind of see the, the sp- either generalness or the specificity of the threats against these species. So some of them, um, you know, for example, a lot of the big cats, they're, they're threatened by uh, hunting or habitat loss. Um, and then the, what's been interesting is the kind of specificity of some of the threats against them. So the vaquita is one that I think that you guys have worked on too, Matthew. Is that right? Yeah, we're well, we're involved right now in a, a feature-length documentary project about vaquita conservation and recovery. Right. And so you, people who follow you guys probably are already very aware of this. But um, it's really this, like, one extremely specific threat of being trapped in gill nets to fish a type of... Um, to catch a, a specific type of spit, a fish called the totoaba. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, the totoaba. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, which is uh, sold in the Chinese um, market for large amounts of money, I guess, in like illicit uh, online markets. A huge amounts of times. So, um, and then the kind you know that like that sometimes these actually these really would think that that makes it an easier problem to solve when you have this like really defined and specified threat. But apparently, you know, people have been working on this issue for years and years and years. And you start to realize the intricacy of the issue, how this is, it's tied up in globalization in these larger markets. It's tied up in human rights issues, empowerment issues for local people. Um, and so I, I guess that that delving so deeply into the specific conservation stories around these issues has really illuminated to me the complexity of, uh, of conservation in the 21st century. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point that you make. And that's something that I've seen as well. You know, I've been involved as a filmmaker on two different, you know, endangered species uh, recovery programs, one for the California condor, mm-hmm. um, which was the focus of my first documentary scavenger hunt. But, and, and now with the vaquita, um, for this documentary we're, we're working on now called Souls of the Vermilion Sea. And, you know, in both of those instances, it's, you know, just like you said with the vaquita, it's one specific threat that's really driving the decline. With the California condor, it's this issue of lead poisoning from spent right. ammunition. And with the vaquita, it's the use of gill nets uh, uh, for the local fishery. Um, and, you know, so it, it, it seems on the surface like those issues should be really easy to solve because it's just mm-hmm. one issue, you know. But when right. you start to dig deeper and, like, investigate, like, what it would take to actually stop, you know, this one threat, um, you know, the behavior of the people that are sort of, you know, uh, participating in this action that's leading to the decline of the species, 
it, the layers of complexity are just un- amazing, you know, and, and, right. and specifically with the vaquita, it's so, so complex, like what's happening. And, you know, the local fishermen, you know, are are involved, you know, but then you mm-hmm. also talk about you're talking about this issue over like global trade and the, right. sale. the Chinese government. Yeah. yeah, the illegal sale of the swim bladders from this other fish species halfway across the planet, which is uh, also so, endangered. Correct? Right. Exactly. The tatuaba is also uh, considered endangered. Um, so. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the complexity is, is right. I mean, you definitely touched mm-hmm. on a really important aspect of endangered species conservation, you know, yeah. uh, in the modern, in modern times, I guess. Um, and, you know, this sort of like issue of globalization and how it impacts these issues um, is, is really bizarre and fascinating. Yeah, and I think it just it illustrates why we need everyone on our side as environmentalists, why it's important to have all of these people with diverse, different backgrounds and different stories, why it's important that we have artists and filmmakers and also people from the civil rights movement identifying as environmentalists. And we need lawyers at NRDC, you know, that that we have to have a kind of systemic approach to conservation. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to tackle these challenges because it's not as simple as just saying, let's pay for this piece of forest not to be destroyed. Before we close things out here i i want to ask you guys um i guess more of sort of a artistic uh personal preference question (laughs) which of the endangered species prints that are a part of the endangered species print project i mean if any um do you guys have like hanging on the wall in your home um well i just moved so i have nothing hanging on the wall currently um but at my previous abode, I did have the North Atlantic right whale in my son's room. I always have the marmots, uh, Vancouver Island marmots, which I drew around my studio area um, because I like something about it that I can't figure out what it is that I feel like I could use in a future painting. And I have yet to figure that out. Yeah, that's interesting. I also have a, one of my own prints that I made, which is the whooping crane print on my walls. But I also have uh, one of Molly's prints, which is, I actually think my favorite ever endangered species print project print. Um, unfortunately, it's actually the one that's also been sold out, um, which is the oh. Seychelles sheep-tailed bat that we mentioned earlier. Um, I just love everything about that one. And I feel like I could look at it forever. Oh, geez. It's also such a great story. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> I, I think, can I say one extra thing? Because since you guys are doing the Vikita uh, Wildlands, I think yeah. that endangered species print, um, well, along with our job in Rhino, is really successful sort of merging the, the artistry um, and aesthetics with sort of the story about uh, what's going on with the species. Um, it's a It's made from dental floss, sort of grouped together to shape a... Bikita, and so the, the artist is Noah Scallon, and he wanted to use that dental floss to sort of reference the, the netting of the gill nets that are the reason the, the species is in decline. So I feel like, and it's, it's, you know, also something very fragile after he took the photograph of it, you know, he could pick it up and the, and the image of the Bikita was gone. So um, I think that that's a really great uh, endangered species print project print for that reason. Yeah, it does kind of epitomize everything that we're going for with the projects. And I actually think it's the only one of the prints that's photographic, too. Um, uh, Noah's been a friend of mine for a long time. 
and it's very this this work is also very consistent with his body of work. He tend he makes things out of other things, but with this conceptual relationship between them. Um, so I, I believe, like you know, he made a portrait of Ada Lovelace out of computer keys or something like that. So I think that um, it, it does really kind of epitomize what we're going for. That it it remains a a, pe- a real piece of art. It's really artful and conceptual, but also has this really beautiful poignancy that the shape of the vaquita is created out of a gillnet-like shape, the very thing that's causing their death. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a really beautiful print, and I would encourage folks to um, check out the website, endangeredspeciesprintproject.com, and have a look at that vaquita print and um, take a look at all the other really amazing prints that, that you guys have up on the site. So one final question for you guys. Um, I'm just curious to sort of hear about, you know, what does the future hold for the Endangered Species Print Project? We have a new print coming out um, probably in November, the Malaysian Taper. And we're going to keep going with new prints and possibly some other items in the future. And uh, one thing that is coming is larger size prints. Right now, all the prints on the site are 8 inches by 10 inches, uh, standard 8 by 10 size. And we want to do some larger prints. Yeah, and I would encourage your listeners, if you happen to know about a really amazing, rare, endangered species that's not getting any love or support anywhere else, we always are welcoming people to say, you know, oh, hey, my daughter-in-law works on this incredible species, um, and they could really use some support. So uh, that's the type of email we'd love to get from your listeners. Well, um, yeah, and I I think, you know, folks can... um probably find your contact information uh, on the website for the endangered species print project absolutely out to you if um, they have any ideas they want to share um and i'll just thank both you guys uh it's been a really fascinating conversation um it was great to have you both on the show um and uh yeah i look forward to seeing um seeing that that next print uh coming out in november and seeing what you guys have in store for the future thanks Thanks. this has been really fun it's a pleasure All right, that was our conversation with Jenny Kendler and Molly Schaefer, the co-creators of the Endangered Species Print Project. Most of our listeners probably know at this point how much I love talking with folks who are working to blend their interests in art and science. And this interview is a really great example of this recurring theme that we have on the EOC podcast. Jenny and Molly are reaching a very different type of audience with their artistic work than most other folks working to address address conservation issues. And as we discussed in the interview, they have a good blend of uh, artwork depicting high-profile endangered species mixed with animals that very few people are probably familiar with. It's really cool to see this project driving interest in these lesser-known endangered species programs. But I think it's also important to talk about the bigger picture here of widespread, large-scale species declines. Very few people understand just how many species are facing crisis situations right now, and it can be shocking to learn how little we know about some of these animals that are on the cusp of disappearing forever. The fact is, we have entered a period in the history of this planet when species extinctions will be increasing in frequency. The sixth mass extinction is upon us. As we enter this difficult time, it is more important than ever to spread awareness of species that need our help, and it's wonderful to learn about Jenny and Molly's unique approach towards this problem. To learn more about the Endangered Species Print Project and to order a print of one of the amazing works of art that we discussed in this episode, you can go to endangeredspeciesprintproject.com. 
We'll have that link and other resources related to endangered species recovery on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC43. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. Thank you.